0: Chapter Four of Winning His Spurs. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Winning His Spears by G. A. Henty. Chapter Four The Crusades warm thanks and much praise were bestowed upon cuthbert for his share in the capture of the castle and the earl calling the foresters round him then and there bestowed freedom upon any of them who might have been serfs of his and called upon all his knights and neighbors to do the same in return for the good service which they had rendered this was willingly done and a number of canute's party who had before borne the stigma of escaped serf were now free men we are too apt to forget in our sympathy with the Saxons that, fond as they were of freedom for themselves, they were yet severe masters, and kept the mass of people in a state of serfage. Although their laws provided ample justice, as between Saxon man and man, there was no justice for the unhappy serfs, who were either the original inhabitants or captives taken in war, and who were distinguished by a collar of brass or iron round their neck. Canute's party had indeed long got rid of these badges, the first act of a serf, when he took to the woods being always to file off his collar, but they were liable, when caught, to be punished, even by death, and were delighted at having achieved their freedom. And what can I do for you, Cuthbert, Sir Walter said, as they rode homewards? It is to you that I am indebted, in the first place, for the rescue of my daughter, and the second for the capture of that castle, which I doubt me much whether we should have taken in fair fight, had it not been for your aid. "'Thanks, Sir Walter,' the lad replied. "'At present I need nothing, but should the time come when you may go to the wars, I would fain ride with you as your page, in the hope of some day winning my spurs also in the field.' "'So shall it be,' the earl said.' and right willingly but who have we here as he spoke a horseman rode up and presented a paper to the earl this is a notice the earl said after perusing it that king richard has determined to take up the cross and that he calls upon his nobles and barons to join him in the effort to free the holy sepulchre from the infidels i doubt whether the minds of the people are quite prepared but I hear that there has been much preaching by friars and monks in some parts, and that many are eager to join in the war. "'Thank you that you will go to the war, Sir Walter?' Cuthbert asked. "'I know not as yet. It must much depend upon the king's mood. For myself I care not so greatly as some do about the question of the Holy Land. There has been blood enough shed already to drown it, and we are no nearer than when the first swarms of pilgrims made their way thither.' On Cuthbert's returning home, and telling his mother all that had passed, she shook her head, but said that she could not oppose his wishes to go with the earl, when the time should come, and that it was only right he should follow in the footsteps of the good knight, his father. "'I have heard much of these crusades,' he said. "'Canst tell me about them? In truth I know not much, my son, but Father Francis, I doubt not, can tell you all the particulars anent the affair.' The next time that Father Francis, who was the special adviser of Dame Editha, rode over from the convent on his ambling nag, Cuthbert eagerly asked him if he would tell him what he knew of the Crusades. Hitherto, my son, he said, the Crusades have, it must be owned, brought many woes upon Europe. From the early times, great swarms of pilgrims are accustomed to go from all parts of Europe to the holy shrines." when the followers of the evil prophet took possession of the land they laid grievous burdens upon the pilgrims heavily they fined them persecuted them in every way and treated them as if indeed they were but the scum of the earth under their feet so terrible were the tales that reached europe that men came to think that it would be a good deed truly to wrest the sepulchre of the lord from the hands of these heathens pope urban was the first to give authority and strength to the movement, and at a vast meeting at Clermont of thirty thousand clergy and four thousand barons, it was decided that war must be made against the infidel. From all parts of France, men flocked to hear Pope Urban preach there, and when he had finished his oration, the vast multitude, carried away by enthusiasm, swore to win the Holy Sepulchre or to die. Mighty was the throng that gathered for the first crusade, monks threw aside their gowns and took to the sword and cuirass even women and children joined in the throng what my son could be expected from a great army so formed without leaders without discipline without tactics without means of getting food they soon became a scourge of the country through which they passed passing through hungary where they greatly ravaged the fields they came to bulgaria here the people, struck with astonishment and dismay at this great horde of hungry people, who arrived among them like locusts, fell upon them with a sword, and great numbers fell. The first band that passed into the country perished miserably, and of all that huge assembly, it may be said that, numbering, at the start, not less than two hundred fifty thousand persons, only about a hundred thousand crossed into Asia Minor." the fate of these was no better than that of those who had perished in hungary and bulgaria after grievous suffering and loss they at last reached nicaea there they fell into an ambuscade and out of the whole of the undisciplined masses who had followed peter the hermit it is doubtful whether ten thousand ever returned home the first attempt to rescue the holy sepulchre was followed by others equally wild misguided and unfortunate some of them indeed began their evil deeds as soon as they had left their home the last of these bodies fell upon the jews who are indeed enemies of the christian faith but who have now at least nothing to do with the question of the holy sepulchre as soon as they entered into germany the crusaders put them to death with horrible torture plunder and rapine indeed appeared to be the object of the crusaders on this, as well as on most other preceding bands, their misdeeds drew down the vengeance of the people. At an early period of their march, and as soon as they reached Hungary, the people fell upon them and put the greater portion to the sword. Thus, in these irregular expeditions, no less than 500,000 people are supposed to have perished. Godfrey de Bouillon was the first who undertook to lead a crusade according to the military knowledge of the day. With him were his brothers Eustace and Baldwin, the Counts of Anhalt and St. Paul, and many other nobles and gentlemen, with their retainers, well armed and under good order, and so firm was the discipline of Duke Godfrey, that they were allowed to pass freely by the people of the countries who had opposed the previous bands. Through Hungary, Bulgaria, and Thrace he made his way, and though he met with many difficulties, from Alexius, the crafty and treacherous emperor of the Greeks, he at last succeeded in crossing into Asia. There he was joined by many from England, as well as from France and other countries. Duke Robert, the son of our first William, led a strong band of Normans to the war, as did the other great princes of France and Spain. The army which crossed the narrow passage of the Hellespont is estimated at no less than 700,000 fighting men. Of these, 100,000 were knights, clad in complete armor the remainder were men-at-arms and bowmen nicaea the place which had been the scene of the massacre of peter the hermit's host was taken after a desperate conflict lasting for many weeks and the crusaders afterwards defeated the turks in a great battle near the town of dorlium after these successes disputes arose among the leaders and count baldwin brother of duke godfrey left the main body with about one thousand five hundred men and founded a kingdom for himself in mesopotamia the main body slowly and painfully and suffering from disease famine and the heat made its way south antioch a city of great strength and importance was besieged but it proved so strong that it resisted for many months and was at last only taken by treachery after the capture of this place, the sufferings of the crusaders, so far from being diminished, were redoubled. They themselves, during the siege, had brought up all the food that could be brought from the surrounding country, while the magazines of the town were found, when an entry was effected, to be entirely deserted. The enemy, aided by a great Persian host, came down, and those who had been the besiegers were now besieged. However, when in the last strait the Christian army sallied out, and inspired with supernatural strength, defeated the Turks and Persians with a slaughter of one hundred thousand men, another slow movement to the south brought them into the Holy Land, and pressing forward they came at last within sight of Jerusalem itself. So fearful had been the losses of the crusaders, that of seven hundred thousand who crossed the Hellespont not more than forty thousand reached the end of the pilgrimage this fragment of an army which had appeared before a very strongly fortified town possessed no means of capturing the place none of the machines of war necessary for the purpose no provisions or munitions of any kind water was scarce also and it appeared as if the remnant of the great army of godfrey de bullion had arrived before jerusalem only to perish there happily just at this time a further band of crusaders from genoa who had reached jaffa made their appearance they were provided with stores and had skilled workmen capable of making the machines for the siege on july fourteenth ten ninety nine the attack was made and after resistance gallant and desperate as the assault the crusaders burst into the city massacred the whole of the defenders and inhabitants calculated at 70,000 in number, and so became masters of the Holy Sepulchre. The Sultan of Egypt was meanwhile advancing to the assistance of the Mohammedans of Syria. But Godfrey, with 20,000 of his best men, advanced to meet the vast host, and scattered them as if they had been sheep. Godfrey was now chosen king of Jerusalem, and the rest of his army, save 300 knights and 200 soldiers, who agreed to remain with him, returned to their home. The news of the victory led other armies of crusaders to follow the example of that of Godfrey, but as these were almost as completely without organization or leadership as those of Peter the hermit, they suffered miserably on their way, and few indeed ever reached the Holy Land. Godfrey died in 1100, and his brother Baldwin succeeded him, the history of the last one hundred years has been full of fresh efforts to crush the Muslim power, but hitherto it cannot be said that fortune has attended the efforts of the Christians. Had it not been indeed for the devotion of the Knights of St. John and the Templars, two great companies formed of men who devoted their lives to holding of the sepulchre against the infidel, our hold of the Holy Land would have been lost. Gradually, the Saracens have wrested post after post from our hands. Edessa was taken in 1144, and the news of this event created an intense excitement. The Holy St. Bernard stirred up all France, and Louis the Seventh himself took the vow and headed a noble army. The ways of God are not our ways, and although the army of Germany joined that of France, but little result came of this great effort. The Emperor Conrad, with the Germans, was attacked by the Turk Saladin of Iconium, and was defeated with the loss of 60,000 men. The King of France, with his army, was also attacked with fury, and a large portion of his force was slaughtered. Nothing more came of this great effort, and while the First Crusade seemed to show that the men-at-arms of Europe were irresistible, the Second, on the contrary, gave proof that the Turks were equal to the Christian knights. Gradually, the Christian hold of the Holy Land was shaken. In 1187, although fighting with extraordinary bravery, the small army of Christian knights of the temple and of St. John were annihilated. The king of Jerusalem was made prisoner, and the Christian power was crushed. Then Saladin, who commanded the Turks, advanced against Jerusalem and forced it to capitulate. Such, my boy, is the last sad news which has reached us. And no wonder that it has stirred the hearts of the monarchs of Europe, and that every effort will again be made to recapture the Holy Sepulchre, and to avenge our brethren who have been murdered by the infidels. But, Father Francis, from your story it would seem that Europe has already sacrificed an enormous number of lives to take the Holy Sepulchre, and that after all the fighting, when she has taken it, it is only to lose it again. That is so, my son. But we will trust that in future things will be better managed. The Templars and Hospitallers now number so vast a number of the best lances in Europe, and are grown to be such great powers, that we may believe that when we have again wrested the Holy Sepulchre from the hands of the infidels, they will be able to maintain it against all assaults. Doubtless the great misfortunes which have fallen upon the Christian armies have been a punishment from heaven because they have not gone to work in the right spirit it is not enough to take up lance and shield and to place a red cross upon the shoulder those who desire to fight the battle of the lord must cleanse their hearts and go forth in the spirit of pilgrims rather than knights. I mean not that they should trust wholly to spiritual weapons, for in truth the infidel is a foe not to be despised, but I mean that they should lay aside all thoughts of worldly glory and rivalry one against another. And think you, father, that such is the spirit with which King Richard and the other kings and nobles now preparing to go to the holy land are animated? Father Francis hesitated. It is not for me, my son, to judge motives, or to speak well or ill the instruments who have been chosen for this great work. It is of all works the most praiseworthy, most holy. It is horrible to think that the holy shrines of Jerusalem should be in the hands of men who believe not in our Redeemer, and I hold it to be the duty of every man who can bear arms, no matter what his rank or his station, to don his armor and go forth to battle in the cause, whether success will crown the effort or or, whether God wills it otherwise, it is not for man to discuss. It is enough that the work is there, and it is our duty to do it. And think you, father, that it will do good to England? That do I, my son, whether we gain the holy land or no. Methinks that it will do good service to the nation, that Saxon and Norman should fight together under the holy cross. Hitherto the races have stood far too much apart. They have seen each other's bad qualities rather than good, but methinks that when the Saxon and the Norman stand side by side on the soil of the Holy Land, and shout together for England, it must needs bind them together, and lead them to feel that they are no longer Normans and Saxons, but Englishmen. I intend to preach on the village green at Evesham next Sunday morning on this subject, and, as I know, you are in communication with the forest men." I would, Cuthbert, that you would persuade them to come in to hear me. You were wondering what could be found for these vagrants. They have, many of them, long since, lost the habits of honest labor. Many of them are still serfs, although most have been freed by the good earl and the knights his followers. Some of those who would fain leave the life in the woods still cling to it because they think that it would be mean to desert their comrades, who, being serfs, are still bound to lurk there but methinks that this is a great opportunity for them they are valiant men and the fact that they are fond of drawing an arrow at a buck does not make them one whit the worst christians i will do my best to move their hearts and if they will but agree together to take the cross they would make a goodly band of footmen to accompany the earl is the earl going cuthbert asked eagerly I know not for certain, said Father Francis, but I think from what I hear from his chaplain, Father Eustace, that his mind turns in that direction. Then, Father, if he goes, I will go too, Cuthbert exclaimed. He promised to take me as his page the first time he went to war. Father Francis shook his head. I fear me, Cuthbert. This is far from the spirit in which we a while ago agreed that men should go to the holy war. Cuthbert hung his head a little ay father francis men but i am a boy he said and after all boys are fond of adventure for adventure's sake however father he said with a smile no doubt your eloquence on the green will turn me mightily to the project for you must allow that the story you have told me this morning is not such as to create any very strong yearning in one's mind to follow the millions of men who have perished in the holy land go to said father francis smiling Thou art a pert varlet. I will do my best on Sunday to turn you to a better frame of mind. End of chapter four.